welcome to the Smokers Lounge podcast by Black Sheep Weekly Inc., where we look on at the herd from afar. In today's podcast, I was joined by a special guest, Shandi Partiban. We discussed her upbringing in Goa, India, her experience in homeschooling, growing up in different countries, cities, her move to London, her experience studying law, and her passion for child law. We hope you guys enjoy what we had to say, and if you did, do give Smokers Lounge a follow wherever you're listening. Also, be sure to follow our Instagram page at Black Sheep Weekly Inc., or our Facebook page at Black BSW Media Inc. Above all, join our mailing list at bsmink.com or give us a visit every few days as we keep uploading new content weekly. This has been episode 12 with Shannon Patiban. Please enjoy. Hello, welcome back. Smokers Lounge podcast episode number 12. Amazing, we got here. Shandani, I completely butchered that name, pronunciation, is joining us today. She uh, lives with, at Woodgreen uh, Hall of Residence uh, with all of us. And we've known each other for pro- probably about nine months now, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you weren't here last year, right? No, I moved in this year. Well, ten, eh, sort of last year. End of last year. You moved? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, you mean September? September, yeah. yeah. So why did you, why, why, why were you? For uni. Um, before that, I lived, like, privately. And then for my third year, I was like, got to have the whole experience. So, of course, Wood Green was, like, definitely my main choice. Um, <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> this is the last choice I Top had in my place. mind. I don't know about anyone else in this room, but, I mean, this is, I mean, honestly, like, I, I was desperate for a place. And um, I had um, I just did an accommodation with Kings, but I decided um, expense wise it would be better to live in an area that was cheaper. So my mum and I sat down and we found this place, and this was the only one that got back to us. So I, and I was living in, at, in New Zealand at the time, so I was mm. like, well, I'm just gonna anything that anything they give me, I'll do it. And um, honestly, it's not a bad place, but it wears you down. I don't know how have you found it. At first, it was very difficult, <laughs> but uh, I mean, you know the whole thing about the bed bugs. Oh um, yeah, you had, you had bad. That was my floor. That was your floor. That was my oh, floor. Oh shit! Yeah. So for people that don't know, so our accommodation for about what, like a month, every week. A month and a half. A month and a half. Six weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Every morning at a random time during at a random day in the week, they'd wake us up at seven a.m., kick us out. Because they'd be ble- ble- what were they blasting the entire rooms with like Infect- insecticide. Insecticide, yeah. yeah. And that was crazy. I mean, I remember like for the first three weeks, I wasn't able to go to uni because I'd be kicked out so fast. Yeah. I didn't have my wallet. I didn't have my clothes on. I was basically half naked half the time. <laughs> so then they'd, they'd kick us out. We'd go to the coffee shop and then six hours, eight hours, we, we weren't allowed to go back into our room. So it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> I think Andre... Um, he lives next to me, right? And he, he like bolted his uh his door several times and then and Fabio, the janitor, just broke into his, his room and he came out so pissed off on several occasions. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> so it happened on your floor? Yes. What floor? What floor? Um, fifth? fifth floor, fifth yeah. And well when I moved in, two people no, three people had already moved out because of the bed bugs and they didn't tell me. Oh sure. And I went to them, I was like, What the hell? <laughs> I've got bed bugs in my room. You you had bed bugs. I found two. Yeah. Oh shit! How big are they? I've never seen. They're them. like little mite size. Like, have you seen um, fleas? They're about a size of a flea. Oh wow. Yeah, and the- they get right into the carpets, right into your bedding, and 
it's a nightmare. But so far, so good. We got new mattresses and they removed carpets and things like that. And we haven't had an issue since. But uh, yeah. So you're still able to live in your Oh, yeah, room, yeah. Right? Okay. Everything's fine now. Because Amal actually had some... Uh, this is amazing <laughs> advertisement for the, for, the, for the accommodation. <laughs> but last year, Amal had... Um, he lives on first floor. And he, he basically had to move out because he had so much mold on a, on the wall, right? It was the wall? Uh, oh yeah, and Tamor as well. Tamor had the had the same problem. Doesn't Josh still have mold? <laughs> That's insane. That yeah, yeah, Josh has mold, but Josh's mold is like probably tiny. But you know, oh, he still complains about complains it enough, any, doesn't any, he? Yeah, it's convenient complaining. So, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, that that was. So I don't know how they. <laughs> it's mind-blowing how this place is still open but hey it, that that kind of brings me to the next point we were talking about just earlier before we went live um was this whole quarantine lockdown stuff right it was like mm. how we are actually pretty lucky to be living in accommodation so we can still kind of see people yeah. um and if we have to self-isolate we still are close to people so yeah, how have you been finding the lockdown, like in general? Because I think we've spoken about day, we've spoken every day, I think. But in yeah. terms of like, how is everything since when you heard that we were going to lockdown to now? Like, how well, have you? It was unbelievable. Like, it was something you, everything that we hear about in the news, it's always been far away from us. And you're like, oh shit, that sucks for them. But you know, you carry on with your life. This is the first time that we've all experienced something that's so close to home, where everything is shut down. We can't go home. We can't go to supermarkets normally without queuing for ages. But um, so far, it's been okay. It's amazing that we have technology that we can still speak to our families and friends and keep in contact. Yeah, that article um, you were talking about was, I have to read that. It was the, yeah, the it was BBC, was it? I think it was about how it would be if coronavirus had hit us in 2005. And that really opened a lot of eyes. We didn't have, like, Facebook was still in America, but just mainly for university students. Um, Snap, no, it wasn't Snapchat. Well, Snapchat wasn't a thing. Right, yeah. Uh, we didn't have WhatsApp and things like that. Skype had just come in. That was very new. Can you imagine? We'd have to be, like, writing letters and stuff like that. Yeah, or, like, using the same, like, do you remember the phone box? I don't know. I never, I never used that. That was before my time, but... Phone boxes used to be a thing, you know, like the red phone box oh, yeah. in London. You'd have to use that. Imagine how infested that would be. Imagine if that happened in 2005. Like we were in 2005 right now and we had to like go to a f phone booth or whatever and just get into it. And we have to lie. There's like a massive line and there's like a set time you, you go to it. That would be so messed up. It would be the most the most disgusting place to go to as well. Maybe. Probably worse than a public bathroom in a way. Definitely. I mean, imagine what happens at night with those things. Anyway. Well, I kind of don't want to now. But. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. So anyway, tell us about yourself. So what do you, what do you study? I study law. Um, it's, I'm in my third year. It's been a fight to get here, but it's so far so good. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, educational-wise, I've always had it quite difficult. I was homeschooled from, oh, wow. like, year one to year eight, because my mom was like a missionary. She traveled around India a lot. Um, and because I didn't know, India has languages for each state. It's a completely different language, completely different uh, way of writing it, reading it, speaking it. And if you keep traveling around, there's no way you're going to be able to learn every single language 
Trust me, Andy Dud, we speak Indian. Yeah. <laughs> no, I did a not. lot of people think we speak Indian. I, I knew for a fact. It, <laughs> no, I did not say. Okay, there's this thing now that everyone thinks I'm like some ignorant bastard. <laughs> no, I can, uh, yeah, a racist bastard. I can assure you that's <laughs> that's that's not true. <laughs> I hate everyone equally, as Josh would say. But um, so whereabouts and so you grew up in India? Was that? I did. Yeah. Um. So I'm from Bangalore. Bangalore. Um. It's a major city. It's beautiful. Well, it used to be back in the day. And then when I was about six, I moved to Goa, which is Portuguese colonized. So it's nothing like the rest of India. Oh, okay. The people are different. The language is completely different. Like the culture is insane. Um, it's beautiful. Amazing place. And did, you, did you learn that language out of all the other ones? Or? No. No? No, not wow. even then. It's really difficult. Right, right. And unless you go to these schools, mm. and since I've obviously I was at year eight by the time like I went, went into school, they would have expected me to start like from the beginning again. There's no starter courses in this. Right. You have to have learned it from when you were a child. That makes sense, yeah. So, well, yeah, public I... schools don't let you in. Sorry. Um. So when it comes to like homeschooling, I've always wondered, because I had a friend... That did so it was weird that there were two twins that went to my school in Switzerland and for years they were homeschooled mm -hmm. then they went into school and then they took two years off being homeschooled again and then they came back to school and they were very good students very mm -hmm. good students but I was and, and I was like how does the homeschooling thing work like well first why would you do it second how hard is it to like how can you be intellectually stimulated you know what i mean like especially now in, in lockdown you know like a lot of kids you know we don't know how long this lockdown is going to go for so how how you know what's your what was your experience like do, do would you recommend it no definitely not well you get the perks of being able to go at your own rate and study what you want to study we still had curriculum so basically the organization that my mom was a part of um, there were a lot of missionaries from all over the world and all their children were homeschooled, but they were affiliated with an American school that would then send out like um, curriculums and you kind of had to meet the deadlines and stuff like that. But, you know, it was like when you wanted to study and stuff like that. Mm. So it was a bit, it's, it's very relaxed, but there's so many disadvantages to it. Yeah. You can't socialize properly because you're only seeing the people who are homeschooled. Oh, yeah, you right. You don't have to learn how to be with other children. You don't face, like, pressure and things like that, which is an important thing to learn, I think. Like, yeah, we've learned yeah, so sure. much having going to school. Yeah. We learned how to interact with adults, um, teachers. Opposite gender. Yeah. Other children from different backgrounds. Oh, yeah, yeah. And those are life lessons that you need to learn at a young age. Otherwise, you're going to be, well, not the most developed human right. when you're older. Yeah. So how was your transition to, into school? What was that like? And why, why did you suddenly go to school? Well, my mom left the charity, well, the organization that she was a part of. So um, the next option was being put into proper education because when you're homeschooled, it doesn't look great on your CV. They're like, well, what the heck have you been doing? all your life why aren't you in school yeah so she was like okay now it's time for you to actually get an education so i had to go to a private school because that was it was a U european school oh. based with cambridge here in england oh wow um so yeah i had proper schooling and that was great so so the school was in england or no no uh, well 
It's, it was in Goa. It was in Goa, yeah, but it was but associated it's with associated Cambridge. associated with Cambridge, Wow, yeah. that's amazing. That private school, though, that's yeah. really cool. Cost a fortune. Wow. But right. we didn't have any other choice because I couldn't go into mm. normal public schools. Right. They wouldn't take me. Yeah. So that was quite difficult, but I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved being able to go to school, make friends, meet people outside of your house because when you're homeschooled, you're just at home all day. Right, yeah. Um, but yeah. It was a really good experience, school. I mean, I loved it. But um, after that, I got measles and I got kicked out because I was out of school for two months being quarantined. Holy shit. So they were like, you're going to have to repeat your year or just drop out. So at that point, I did have to go into proper public school, which was a real struggle. Shit. How long were you at that school for, the the private school before Um, measles happened then? From year eight and nine and, and ten. Ten I left. Shit. Yeah, which was difficult. Yeah. So, but yeah. that's amazing. So you came to, you came, you're studying at Birkbeck now, right? I'm studying at Birkbeck now. How was your journey to that then? Tough again, because I did my kind of GCSEs equivalent in India, which was very difficult considering not knowing the language and things like that. But I finished it there, but qualifications don't transfer in right, England right like yeah. you've got to do your GCSEs all over again oh my god so I did evening university uh, uni- evening college for maths and English which was a struggle I hate math it is Jesus. my worst subject Jesus took me two times to pass it Fuck. because again with homeschooling math wasn't a big thing right yeah, yeah. what did you learn in ho- homeschool like was it just reading just and writing? reading writing basic geography you know no sciences at all because your parents don't know stuff like that. They're not going to be able to teach you things like that. Right. So, yeah, not been easy. Wow. Yeah. But That's... then I finished my GCSEs here. I did an access to education course. Oh, yeah. What's that like? That was actually quite good. So, basically, it's for students who um, haven't done their A-levels but mm. want to go into university. Mm. So, they're like different courses. I did a humanita- humanities one. So, I had English, IT, no, English history and law law is what i'm doing now and that's what i wanted to do at the time as well so it was perfect for me and then after i finished that i managed to get into university which was amazing but it's always been a struggle education for me right well you've done amazingly well by the sounds of your third year right so you're you've got what you're one more year or you're done no i am done at the end of this year which was super exciting yeah How, how are you feeling about that then like in terms of when you look back on everything do you feel like yeah this has worked out yeah yeah i'm really proud of myself for having fought to get to where i am because it has been a fight yeah but i'm not really ready for it to finish now because i really enjoy being here i love living with you guys i love having that camaraderie of being all in the same boat together fighting for what we want yeah that's true i agree i mean that's that's crazy though i mean your life i putting it into perspective right it's like I just don't know how you managed. I mean, for me, just being in quarantine, right? I've got uni work, I've got assignments and stuff, but I've not been able to find self-motivation to get through a day where I can feel satisfied, let's say. I can get through a day feeling like I've done some work, but it's always like, ah, it wasn't enough or like, ah, you know. But in a sense, did that help you maybe? Like, did did you kind of develop your own self-discipline because you had to? Yeah, yeah, that has actually helped me a lot having been homeschooled because that's the normal for me to stay home and study you just get on with it and you if we have deadlines we just have to meet them so 
I mean, obviously, it's still difficult yeah. to motivate myself. It's been a, a long, long time since I've had to do that. Were your parents quite like onto you when it came to school? No, not mm, really. Right, that must have made it even harder. My mum was a little bit of a hippie, and, right? You know, missionary, traveled mm, a lot, so right. wasn't there. I lived with my grandma, so she'd be in and out. But um, yeah, she would just believed love was the <laughs> the way forward. The way forward. <laughs> She's possibly the most loving person I know. <laughs> well, there is something in that. What about your dad? Is he? Oh, was he um, in the picture? No, not at all. Um, ever since I was born, he wasn't around. But it was, it was fine. I have an older brother who's basically like an older brother slash dad. Yeah. So yeah. If the, he's eight years older than me. So oh, wow. I mean, that's, you can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly. Yeah, that's exactly the same age gap between me and my sister. So really, yeah, that's that's quite crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can I can sympathize with that. <laughs> Not as a younger sibling, but I can understand the, the frustration. struggles of yeah. what my brother had to yeah. deal with. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Wow. So what does he do now? Cause he's he, a teacher. He's a teacher. Oddly enough, he teaches in the private school that I went to. Oh, yeah. Which is very strange. There's still people who work there that taught me. And oh, they yeah, keep asking saying, him. Like, they like, ask, yeah. yeah. And oh, I'm like, cool. oh my God, I don't even remember half of them. How do they remember me? <laughs> That's so cool. How's he finding it? He loves it. He has just literally found his path for himself. He's always had a bit of a struggle figuring out what he wanted to do but apparently teaching's it oh awesome sure that's yeah. great so it, that's in goa it is okay yeah cool so where, where's your family is your mum and your brother in goa still no um just my brother my okay. mum lives up in newcastle oh yeah so what's the newcastle connection because you always go on about it but i never really had to time no, to ask we used to live in somerset for five years and then she split up from my stepfather they're mm -hmm. still really good friends mm -hmm. but they just realized they couldn't live together right and she had a friend living in newcastle and her friend was like, come live here. It's an amazing city. People are dead nice. And honestly, they are the nicest people there. Geordies. So, yeah, so friendly. Um, so, yeah, she was like, do you want to move? And I was like, sure. Oh, she gave you the option. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to move? And I was like, yeah, go on. I've always moved. So it's not weird for Nothing me new. to just It's exciting change. in a way, right? Yeah. yeah. I love moving. Yeah. I get a bit of a rush from it. Yeah. It's like, ooh, new yeah. time, new me, really, isn't well, it? Well, you'd get that. You've yeah, moved yeah, all yeah. over the place. Yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of thing, really, isn't it? It's like, you know, except it was never really an You know, my parents <laughs> would just be like, yeah, we, we're going. We're moving. But, um. Yeah, it's a cool thing, I find, anyway, because you kind of, like, feel like you can start again, you know? Like, you get a I second chance at life, again. you know? It's like, yeah. So, why London? Why did you want to study in London? Was it, was it, was it, did you consider it, London? or was It, it just, was, yeah. Okay. I'd applied for a few universities all over England, um, and I didn't get the grades for some of them, but I did for London. I got my grades for two of them in here. So, I was like, great, why not? I mean... So many people want to move all over the world and study in places like New York and France and Paris and London. I've got the perfect opportunity to do that. Yeah, yeah. So it was just, let's do it. Yeah, cool. And I got lucky because my partner wanted to move here as well for UCL. So, awesome. Yeah, still doing that. So your law degree, per se, is that... Is that um was that a struggle when it came to starting uni, or did you feel like it's been pretty much what you expected? It has been a struggle. It wasn't what I expected. Um, there's a lot of reading involved that they do not tell you about, and 
you know, <laughs> they really? expect a lot. But it's been good. I've enjoyed it. I found things out about myself and my likes and dislikes. Things I thought I would love, I ended up hating. And things I thought I would hate, I love. Like, uh, right now, I'm super into child law. It's what I want to be. Um, I want to be a child lawyer, or a family lawyer, really. And um, What about yeah. it? Has, has Have you found so interesting? Well, thing is, I've always kind of worked with children my whole life. Okay. So... Uh, my mom runs a charity in India for street children. Oh, oh wow. And wow, that's cool. She started about 15 years ago. She used to, obviously, she worked at the same time as she was a missionary. She worked for a company that sold pools. So she'd drive around, go to like different hotels and stuff and work with them. But she saw a lot of homeless children or children begging on the street. And she was like, what is happening? Why aren't you in school? So she'd stop and speak to them. And because they were migrant workers from um, Karnataka, she spoke the same language as them. Oh. So she was able to communicate with them and be like, why aren't you guys in school? And they'd be like, well, we again, language barrier. They didn't speak the language. They couldn't be in proper schools. Do anything, right. And they couldn't afford it as well. In India, education is not free. Really? I didn't know yeah, that. It's, oh, wow. It's not free. Wow. Mm, that's, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah, right. So uh, she started a school for little girls. It started off for little girls because they were the most high risk. She saw a lot of them begging and a lot mm. of like people kind of being predators around them. Right, yeah. And she was like, no, if I can do something about it. So she basically op she rented a, a building out. She hired a few teachers, hired a cook and a cleaner and um, just went around the slums in India and in Goa being like, if you have children who want an education, please bring them to us and we're going to teach them all the basics. So they get English, math and basic like other subjects. And um, after three or four years, they're sponsored into mainstream schools. Wow. And wow, that's amazing. What's the name of this place? It's called New Horizons. New Horizons. OK. Yeah. It's uh, now been taken over by a friend of hers who okay. runs major schools in bangalore they've got Fuck. over a thousand students but because she lives here she wasn't able to kind of manage it so yeah she's given it over to a friend that's amazing i'm just sorry i'm just he just passed me the thing to look at the human wow human trafficking in goa yeah that's a big thing though, isn't very it? big Damn. And that's why it was for, for girls at first, but then she couldn't say no to the boys. So right, now it's yeah. just um, all genders, all ages. They start off quite young. She's had people bring babies in and it's kind of like a crash for them. But oh, then cool. they get bigger and then they start like their education. She has so many children who have now finished like year 10 and who are in apprenticeships and stuff. That's amazing. It's so amazing. So I think that's why I love child law. Yeah. Because it resonates with me and what my family have done for years. Absolutely. And I just want to make it my field and do better in it and make lives better. What 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 about child law have you found that's... Um, so obviously you have the history and the context for it. Within child law itself, has it been quite a challenge to kind of see it as something because you because you and I had a conversation about law before and you mentioned how you had problems with the whole idea of being a lawyer itself it's like the law is the law but our whole as a lawyer you've got to basically just work your way around it so what was it about child is, is some is it about child law for you that 
you know, you're actually upholding the law more than in I other think areas. So. Yeah, you're fighting for that child's life, whether it's for it to be with the right parent or um, in adoption, finding that right family for them. It just seems like you're making a different in, difference in that child's life. And it's not just tearing people down and getting up a corporate ladder, yeah. which I have a massive issue with because I'm not that sort of person. I couldn't um, pull other people down to get further in my own career. Right. Yeah. Would you would would you have said that there was something else in law that you were interested in before you really f- decided child law, child law? Environmental law. Right. I right, okay. love environmental <laughs> that's, law. That's definitely you, yeah. What, so yeah. What, yeah, so what happened about that? I mean, obviously, that's definitely, I can see that being in the equation as well, right? It is, yeah. Um, again, I love animals. And I'm very much into, like, animal rights and things like that. But it's a very niche area in law. Okay. And you have to do you have to be an environmental lawyer mm-hmm. to then kind of volunteer for animal rights and then eventually you'll get a job that pays for it. So it's one of my major passions. I feel like I'd probably still work a lot with it as pro bono and things like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um it's just something I like and hopefully we'll be able to do. Are you thinking of doing something like a master's after you do your undergrad or are you I thinking am. to go straight? Um, no, with, with law degrees in England, you've got to either do your bar to be a barrister or you've got to do your LPC to be a solicitor. So, and this costs a lot of money. Like the bar costs over 20 grand. 20 grand? Yeah. Out of pocket. You need to wait to be called for the bar. Yeah. Wow. 20 grand. 20 grand. Unless otherwise you got to do a great end. Yeah. Which is again, a lot of networking, a lot of doing your, Yeah. So um, I want to be a solicitor. I could not stand up in court and do stuff like that. I feel like I'd be quite so crap the, at it. So what I've understood is that the um, a barrister is the person that we see in the movies, right? Like yes. the guy that's like, Your Honor. Yes, that uh, is my what a client, barrister does. All of that, right. But a solicitor is the guy that feeds the information to the barrister yeah. on what they're going to be saying mm-hmm. in court and what the position is of the clients, et cetera. Exactly. Okay. So you're, you're much more into that kind of side of it yeah i, I can i can see how that would make sense to you because i don't think it'd be fun to just do child law but not really have any control of what you're being no, you're saying right yeah what, you, what your position is i guess with barristers yeah you obviously you're doing a lot of the work they are most amazing people being able to stand up and argue a point and stuff like that but with solicitors it's like working in the background you do all the legwork you put it all together and now things are changing. You you do have solicitors sitting in like the lower courts mm. and kind of acting as barristers. So it's kind of like in film where you have like producers direct. I'm saying this because we've got some two amazingly passionate people, uh, which came out in the last episode um, uh, about film. So you have like the, the director and the producer. It'd be more like the producer's role, I guess, right? And the director that, that have that kind yeah. of solicitor position and then the barristers are more like the actors and you mm-hmm. know the light experts and those film guys yeah so yeah um what about barristers are just trial lawyers yeah yeah. they go to trial they're litigators no no i know i'm just making the analogy <laughs> um so <laughs> i knew i knew by saying the film thing Amal would just be like uh, actually actually it's uh so yeah, don't worry, don't worry about it. <laughs> sorry, I've been, I've been slating this guy over like since last night. But anyway, <laughs> sorry. Anyway, back on track. Um, <laughs> um, 
so I've kind of lost my my train of thought now. Um, what about yourself? Like, what do you want to do? Because obviously, I know that you're doing um, political science, right? And yeah, you're wanting to do law as well now. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> good questions. Um, I'm still kind of grappling with what I want to do as well. I think I think one of the big things I've realized is that I've I'm I'm really into politics, like more so than I kind of realized. So when I when I went into uni, I I always wanted to study in London. That was always my goal, but I always debated on what I was going to study there. So for me, for a long time, it was law. Mm. It was a long, long time. It was law. Um, I thought the whole career was fascinating. The skills you acquire really interesting. The critical thinking, the uh, the analyzing, which is something I love. I love analyzing stuff, reading between the lines, trying to make sense of something that um, everyone kind of engages in but how there's this kind of originality that comes out of it when it's your interpretation and so I was always very fascinated by that but um and I had a very good friend uh who I'm still in contact with called Marco and and his father was um uh a big big reason for me being so inspired by this he he was um he's a very famous uh he's a, he's a uh, trade I think he's oh, no he's not a trade lawyer fuck he's like he's definitely a, a type of corporate lawyer um, and uh, he started his own firm in uh, wow. in in a branch of the firm that he worked for in Belgium, um, and his lifestyle was very interesting to me because it was very similar to my dad's. So my big thing was when I grow up, I want to have a similar kind of lifestyle to my dad, which mm. is working like crazy, but traveling and and not being in one office for too long, but being able to travel and do things that. Uh, challenging but also exciting in a way and just being busy really I didn't want to have a basic job and um, so for me I was very into this law thing um, but the more I kind of delved into it the more I started to second guess myself in terms of am I going to have passion for it as in am I going to have days where I'm not going to feel like doing work but I'm still going to get through it because I love what I'm doing and I wasn't sure if doing a normal law degree three years uh I would enjoy as mm. much as if I could do because I have a uh, one of my best friends, Alex, is studying law in um in in New Zealand, and um and and another best friend of mine is studying law as well with them in New Zealand, and and I've had my interactions with them, and it sounds really interesting what they're studying, and um it gives me a lot of encouragement because if they're doing it, I can do it too, you know. But at the same time, I'm not I'm not as you know like whoa interesting. Like as I am when it comes to politics, you know, get me, give me a mic like now, and I can go on on and on about it. Um, politics has always been about part of my life anyway. You know, it's about over the dinner table, over, you know, coffee with my granddad in Greece. You know, anything. My granddad, for instance, will just come to me in a random setting in Greece and just complain about how, you know, the Turkish government has done something crazy on the border with Greece, and it's no one's talking about it because it's this propaganda of the U.S. to to influence the EU to allow Turkey to have more EU rights. It's like, you know, so cool. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, yeah, but I don't really know much about politics. Mm. I love it. I read about it, but I don't know what it's about. So I was like, fuck, I'm just going to do that. I'm going to go to uni. I'm going to do the politics because I love it. And I know that I'll be interested in it. Um, thankfully, I'd done, I'd done six months in New Zealand um, at, the, at uh, Victoria University of Wellington. Um, where I did basically a semester there doing uh, two modules. I did um, Introduction to International Relations, uh, which was awesome. And 
introduction to comparative politics. So you were basically comparing different types of countries against each other, how they operated, what were their similarities, what were the differences, how do they function, why is it that one country has a parliamentary system, for instance? Why, why, why does the US have a presidential system? Like, why would you have that? Mm. Or what, what, what is a federal system? Why, why is that a better alternative in some countries than a, um, a uh, God, let's see, here we go. I have brain, brain freezes, but uh, compared to like, you know, a um, parliamentary system, you know, why, why, why is that the case? You know, what, what makes something better? Why is it in some countries less centralized power um, is a better uh, source of government than one that's more dispersed, like we see in the US? Why do people accept that? Um, so for me, that was always really interesting. And I always found it fascinating because I never knew about it. But we took we take all these things for granted, if you of think course, about it. Of course, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I just decided I wanted to do that. And um, only recently have I really kind of started to open my eyes to doing something in politics after uni. Because I thought at the time, going into doing a law de- uh, politics degree, that I'd do that enjoy it like crazy i do i do my best to do very well in it and then afterwards i'd come out of it do a law conversion course which is something you can only do in the uk mm-hmm. that i thought was a great idea because i wouldn't have to do three years i could just do one year i really know about what i'm what my strengths and weaknesses are in a, in a university setting i'll do one year i'll work extremely hard get that on my resume cool set but i never knew what i was going to do after right Um, For a while, I was thinking going into corporate law, um, you know, doing something there. At the same time, I was thinking of uh, doing something in politics in New Zealand, getting involved there. Didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest, if that makes sense. But um, to put it simply, there was an email that was sent out about this um, seminar for four hours on uh, political risk management. And... This was like amazing for me because I had done all these conversations with Amal, who um, is, as you know, an encyclopedia of incredible information. <laughs> so I was always asking him, like, "Hey, what do you think? You know, what what could I, you know, with, with the skills that I have, what, what, where do you, where would you put me?" And he kept telling me, "Risk management, bro. You got to go into risk management. That's that's so you. You could definitely mm. do that." And I was like, ah, "I don't know, man. Like, it's very finance. It's no, you know, I'm not." really into that like i could do that for three years sure but like it's not yeah so this email comes out and it's like political risk management i'm like oh my god what's that and i go to amal i'm like so excited i'm like jumping on him and everything and he's like uh you know firstly social distancing secondly amazing do that so um we went so i went to the seminar and i was just mind blown i was like this is what i want to do political risk management risk management in general is when you're uh when a company a private company essentially just wants to manage uh, the risk that may happen to them entering a new territory or take or a new strategy that the company okay. wants to take. So, you know, um, you know, a classic example would be, okay, so Apple has just released a new iPhone. Samsung wants to do something to compete with it. Is this going to be viable for the market? What are mm. the risks for that? How is the market going to respond to that? I'm sure Amal is shaking his head right now and, <laughs> and saying that they are missing it. And it's, I'm bastardizing the definition of it. But essentially, it's, it's looking at the risks involved with a company's decision to go going into the future regarding a business idea that they've developed or in response to how the market's going or in response to a new venture that, they, mm. that, that another company's taken that may threaten them. So it's a lot of analysis in that field, in the market and stuff. Political risk management, a lot simpler. 
to put it to to define, but a lot more, I would say, challenging because you're considering political elements that could prove very problematic for a company to work, to to operate in. Um, It can be in a private capacity. So you could be, I could be working for like, let's say, Goldman Sachs, you know, advising them, okay, well, you know, you don't want to go into Syria right now because there's a war going on Mm. or you don't want to go into this part of Lebanon because Hezbollah has control over this region and you're not going to get a lot of customers and, you know, uh, there's not a lot of people that want to associate themselves with you because they saw how badly you were in the 2008 financial crisis. So, you know, you might want to stay away from there or... um, you know, oh, it's it's not going to last long your position in this country because their neighbor's going to take them over in a in a in an invasion, potential invasion. So that was like very international relations um, focused, and I thought, wow, this is something I could definitely do. And I asked the lady who was doing it; she was amazing. Um, what her lifestyle it was, and it was traveling. It was um, going on the. It was a lot of field work. You're interviewing mm. people. You're interviewing academics in the in that country to get more information. You're interviewing uh, government officials. You're interviewing uh, staff. So, for example, a classic uh, case study that she would give us was: you have a country in Africa that wants to set up a hospital. Sorry, I'm kind of ranting a little bit here. No, but, tell me. I um, want to know. So there's like there's like a, a there's like a third world country, let's say Somalia, that wants to um, that in Mogadishu, the capital, that set that has a pretty bad uh, healthcare system. But this new government in Mogadishu has just taken power and they say, right, we're going to fix the healthcare system. So we are going to have a big hospital in the center of the city um, and we want the uh, World Health Organization to uh, fund us. The World Health Organization will come to me um, as a political risk manager to say, right, what do you think of this? Do you think this plan is going to be good? My my whole plan would be to look at the internal and external economic and political factors. So there could be things like, okay, well, <laughs> first off, what is this government like? Are they transparent? Are they open? Have they given us reason to believe that this area is specifically for the hospital? Who is going to be allowed in the hospital? Are there ethnic divisions in that country existing mm. or, or potential whereby certain people aren't going to be able to get um, hospital treatment? Uh, what about resources are they are they going to have access to them in the long run um you know is an investment that is going to be viable for you in the future or are you just going to be wasting your time um what about you know the rest of the country why only in mogadishu isn't that country how much power does this government actually have you know they want to transform the country's health care plan but they only control mogadishu i mean you know, how is this going to work? So you're looking at all these different elements and you're trying to balance them and you're trying to give an honest assessment of whether or not this is going to work. So you might, so I might have to go down on the ground and, and talk to someone from the government, ask them questions. Okay, why did you choose this location? Why did, why a hospital? Why not a, um, you know, why, why not a better, a job center? You know, mm. uh, if it's a poor area that you're, you're focusing on, great, but why is it poor? You know, how long has it been poor for? You're looking at all these questions and you're trying to analyze these uh, these situations so that you can get a better assessment of what this is going to look like for the investment that's going to be made by the people that are hiring you, essentially, um, because they don't want to waste their money all their time. You know, there's another country no, that probably not. needs the help, you know, in Fiji or in uh, Papua New Guinea. So why is why why should they invest in Somalia more? Maybe I come back and I say, hey, this is a great idea because they've, they've only just managed to... Uh, 
suppress terrorist elements and now the country wants to heal, this is the best time to invest. And because after this project, more projects will pop up. Um, and, you know, I could also just say to them, this is a bad idea. It's a very volatile area. It's a very volatile region. It always has been. It's mm -hmm. not going to change in the near future. So that's something I'd love to do. But for that, I need to do a master's. Um, they recommend something in public policy or um, international public policy or international relations type studies or political mm -hmm. development studies. Um, I'm thinking of going down the international relations route anyway. So what about the law then? The law thing, well, I'd like to do that still. I still think I'd like to do that. I still think I can do it. Um, I can see how it would relate. Yeah, I did an absolutely. optional module on uh, public international law and the use of force. Mm. And it was a lot of politics and stuff that, honestly, I'd never heard of some of it. And it was very interesting, but it was law-based as well. And I can see how that would tie into you going to governments and speaking to them about certain things. You'd have to know what their regulations yeah. are and things like that. So I can see it helping a lot. That's absolutely true. Um, she did mention that there's usually a legal consul on the team that she works with that usually gives advice on that as well. Okay. But you're definitely right. I think in terms of general knowledge or general understanding of you know recognizing when someone's talking absolutely out of their ass, yeah. for instance, um, to have that kind of thing. Um, and so that would be something I'd be looking at. I haven't really thought as much about the law thing, to be honest. I think for now, my direction is, <laughs> well, I spoke this to my dad, right? After I, the seminar, I'm like, hey, you know, look, I, I just had this amazing <laughs> seminar. This is definitely what I'm doing for my life. And he's like, yeah, great, my boy. That's amazing. Get your law degree first. <laughs> you know, like, he's no, 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 of course he is. But it was just funny how it like, you know, He's been he's been very interested in, in, in my politics degree mm. and now all of a sudden he's interested in me getting this law degree, so it's <laughs> so it's quite funny. But anyway, no, I think I think for sure I'd probably do the law degree um after the masters in uh whatever the relevant You're looking at I'm a doing. long line of education. Long line, yeah. I love education though. Like it's so cool. I don't know about you, but like I just don't want it to end, you know? No. Like if you can afford it. I yeah. oh yeah, great if you can afford it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I love education. Yeah. It's a rush. So what about your um, experience with um, uh, living in, in the UK? Like, how's, how was that transition? Because I've only lived here for a few years as well. It's not too bad. I mean, I've lived here for nearly nine years now. Um, I got lucky because living in Goa, it's tourists year round. Like, you've got three months of monsoon where that's the only time you won't find any foreigners around. It's just locals. But that's it. The rest of the year, it's foreigners in and out, lots of tourists, lots of expats who've moved to Goa and decided this is the place for me. I'm staying. Amazing. What's the population? Um, I have no idea, actually. It's, it's not huge, though, because Goa is fairly small itself and it's not overly crowded or anything like that. So, but by in, in international standards, it's still Ooh. huge or? It is. I think <laughs> yeah, the I was foreigners just going like, you know. outweigh the. Oh, yeah. Um, 1.8 something what? million that's people. Like, that's yeah. a lot. 1.8 million? Yeah. That's, that's, that's actually pretty small. Indian standards. City, it's, it's very small. It's that's, super that's, small. That's tiny. It's... Yeah, that's like They're Auckland. Farmers. Auckland's There's our biggest city and we talk about how big it is but <laughs> in New Zealand. But, I mean, that's... Wow, cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, I can see why that would have been a good time. Well, they're mostly, place, yeah. the Goans are like fishermen. And there's a huge fishing industry and uh, farming. Lots of rice paddy fields. Oh, cool. Our biggest city is Panjim and it's not that big, honestly. 
Um, you can probably walk around it if you really wanted to, and it wouldn't take you that long. Wow, cool. Is it so, quite safe? Apart from the human trafficking side, I know um, that's apart pretty, from that, pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is really safe. Like women walk around in bikinis and sarongs no all day long because wow. it's it's really hot, and they're all foreigners, so they're like, you know, it's normal for them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And the tour, the Goans don't mind because that's been their norm since the 60s that's, that's where that's awesome like flower power happened and mm. hippies settled down right right oh, so cool it was super normal for me to just move to england because for me i was one of the only white uh, only brown kids in my school the rest were foreigners really yeah in goa in goa what in that school i went to i was i think there was one other kid wow yeah that's that was an indian in the whole school <laughs> Wow, that's so yeah. coming uh, here. I was like, eh, this is just normal. Normal. It's just colder here. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine. Somerset sounds nice though. It was all right. Very boring though. Yeah. Yeah. Super boring. It's quite small, isn't it? It's a big place. There are like small villages. Villages, but in it's, it. the area is quite. The area spread is out. quite vast. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it's beautiful. Just fields and farms everywhere. They do a lot of like cider. Um. And oh okay yeah Cider's somerset nice. cider yeah. apple cider amazing oh cool best thing in the world yeah on a hot summer day have you gone back there like to visit nope not even really? once oh wow i That's... have a thing i rarely go back when i leave a place yeah i think i know what you mean what, what, what's your reason is it just i'm i'm just, just done with done it with it yeah you know i left for a reason yeah. i don't see the need to go back right right yeah I mean, I still have friends there, but I, I see them in London when they come to visit their families here and stuff like that. But I just don't really feel a need. Right. Would you ever go back for like a visit? Just, you know, just a weekend or something like that to anywhere that you've lived? If there's any I mean, place, any place that you've lived in throughout your life, where would it be? Apart from Goa, I, I wouldn't go back anywhere else. Wow. Because Goa grows on you. Mm. That's probably why it's been filled with like hippies and tourists since the 60s. They come and they never leave because it's amazing. <laughs> wow, cool. Um, yeah. But apart from that, no, I don't think I would ever go back. That's... It's just not something I really do. Yeah, right. Yeah. What about Newcastle? I would go back there because I have family there. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, but I mean, in terms of like... In terms of moving back, I was considering it. Um, I was. But so far, for graduate schemes and jobs, for lawyers, there isn't anything there. Everything okay. I've seen is in London. And that's understandable. This is like the hub. Mm. This is where people come to work and things like that. And yeah, I'm okay with it. Like I'm happy to stay in London and live here and work here. It's been an amazing experience. So why not? Yeah, London's amazing. Um, I, 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 I'm very curious to see how, you know, the um, professions like law uh if, if that's going to radically change after this quarantine is over. I don't know. Because Maybe. you know how, like, I mean, def certainly certain types of law professions like criminal law, you're still yeah. going to need to go talk to the people and, of course. and all that. But I'm talking like more like, um, I guess, corporate law in a way. You know, you, you can probably do that at home if you have all the resources with you. Mm -hmm. I, I'm surprised you guys still have to use books, you know, like. Oh, yeah. Can't, can't you guys just get like a digitalized, digitalized everything thing, yeah our books are huge yeah so 
it would probably take a really long time. I no. remember one of my teachers saying, this was when I was in college, they were like, there's not one person who could possibly read every single law book in one lifetime because there are so many and they are so big. <laughs> yeah. It would just not happen. <laughs> do you have to do, so in, in, I know that in the US you have to, you're like, it's, it's well known that you have to like spend, so not only do you have to pay a lot for the law degree, but you've also got to pay a lot for all the books. Is that something that you have had to go through or? It was at first. Um, I didn't really take stuff out of the library because there's a very limited amount as well of books. Um, I think it's three books to a class of 30. That's what one of our teachers well, told what? us. Yeah, three books in a library to a class of 30. That's their limit. And I mean, they have like online journals and things like okay. that, which really help. Okay, yeah. But if you want a core book that's been recommended to you, you either take it out real quick mm. and hope that nobody else decided they're going to need that law book um, or you pay for it. And some of these go from like 30 to 80 quid. Holy shit. Yeah. I think in my first year, I spent about 500 quid on just books. 500? And it was about 250 quid a term. And we do two terms. So it's teaching. So yeah, about 500 quid. But then I learned, I learned very fast to be the first person to take those books out. Right, right. Yeah. And ever since then, it's been okay. But a lot of students sell uh, books as well on like eBay and okay. things like that okay, for yeah, a bit yeah, yeah. cheaper. Okay. But they're still, it's still expensive because they've yeah. had to spend so much. It's only understandable that, that they have the similar price. I exactly. Guess. What? Yeah, okay. So explain to me this as per, for personal indulgence, but also in general, what's, how, how is law taught? Like in what you've had to experience? Like what's, what, uh, so you have lectures, you have seminars. Yeah. How lectures. are you assessed? Like, I mean, yeah. Um, essays, assignments, um, I mean, sometimes they do presentations as well. I'm doing a presentation for my EU law module this year. It's exam-based, so 50% exams, 50% from my um, presentation. But that's the first time I've done anything like that at university. It's either full assignment-based or a half exam, half assignment, or full exam as well, um, which is going to be really confusing this year because two... Two? No... Three, three of my m main modules um, are all exam-based. There's wow. no essay in it at all. And with the quarantine, we're not really sure what's happening. Yeah. Like, because either we're going to have, like, take-home exams where it's, like, a short period of time where you can just do the essay. That's what I've heard from other people who are in the same situation. Um, but it's also quite scary because this is our last year. This is our last yeah, year to do really moment. well. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to get another chance to do this. Shit. So not having access to the library, to books, study material, that's terrifying. Yeah. What about writing essays? Because I think, well, I've heard mm -hmm. uh, from my friends in New Zealand that study it and also in general, like from personal research when I was thinking about going into law, that the actual writing process in law is very different to what other people understand as an essay. Like, is that true? I wouldn't know because all I've ever done yes, is, is law. law. Right, yeah. What, what, so what is the process? What, what, what do you go through? Like, how is it structured? And what do you have so to write about? We, um, it depends, really. Um, sometimes a module will tell you to come up with your own topic and your own question, which is super challenging. Yeah. Um, so you pick an area. For my child law, I've chosen um, the process of adoption 
and how it relates to interracial couples Ooh. adopting. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which cool. is super interesting because mm. until like 2002, um, where an act came out, there was a lot of problems with interracial couples adopting children of another race because they believed that they weren't able to cater to those children's needs, like whether it's uh, religion or cultural. Those things mattered. A lot of that has changed now. Like that's been taken away. And um, it's, you know, we live in such a multicultural world. Of course, we can cater to anyone or anything. We can just Google things. If you don't know, say you've got a kid with curly hair, mm. you can Google it. How to do things like that for them. And that's, you can cater to the needs. It's mind blowing, though, how, of course, we're so lucky to have information now about yeah. all those things, right? It's mind blowing that this is so recent. It's 2002. so recent. Yeah, I I didn't even know. I, you know, it's like it's like what was it like 1960s? There was the whole thing on uh, you know black people were second, basically second class yeah. citizens in the US. It's insane how we talk about all these historic. You know, at, as our age anyway, well, it's just like yeah, that's a given. But for our grandparents or like our great uncle and something like that, mm. for them it was just like the other. Like you know, imagine how the world is going to change down the road for us to what it is now. It's already changing. It's already changing. You know? And it's an amazing time to live in. Mm. We are at able our to, age. Yeah. At our age. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, because we've grown up with it. We're able to adapt. Yeah. It's our norm. Yeah. So I think it's a great time to live where you're just able to be yourself and be free yeah. and speak what you want. Um, so, yeah, I love it. We're really lucky. Yeah, we are. Great. Well, I think, uh, how are we doing for time? Wow, we nearly did an hour there. I don't know. How do you feel? Good. Yeah. I'm happy I came on it. Yeah. It's been an experience. I'll always remember this. Yeah, well, it's going to, well, everyone's going to remember it. It's going to be online. It's going to be, <laughs> everything you said now it's is there. there forever. So, no, but you got to come back on. I'd That's, love to. That, yeah, I feel like we only touched the surface. That was um really interesting. Really cool life you've had as well. Thank a lot you. like um, I mean you too though. Yeah, it's it's what it's what this podcast for me is all about. It's learning about people, you know, like really interesting, really interesting. Um yeah, what any any do you have any preconceptions before you came on? Oh, I was hella nervous. <laughs> like honestly, super nervous. Did not know how it was going to go. Um but yeah, it's just been a like a conversation yeah, that exactly. we just normally kind of have anyway. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's just a little bit less um normal i guess because we've got these mics in our faces but yeah (laughs) that's about it anyway um any last words you want to say before we end it thank you for having me on and for convincing (laughs) me and kind of bullying me to come into this (laughs) yeah well we need something to do i mean we've got nothing to do during this lockdown apart from amal and julia who are now going to go back to theirs for xbox it's gonna be oh that'll be fun (laughs) yeah on their big 4k yeah tv (laughs) sounds awesome Anyway, thank you so much. It's been awesome. I, I really thank did enjoy you. this one. Uh, can we get you in again maybe next week? Yeah, yeah. sure. We could do it next Friday as well. It doesn't okay. matter. Yeah. I've got to get Josh on Good probably, probably tomorrow. Man. Yeah, tomorrow would be quite funny. Drinking with Josh. <laughs> I think that's what we're going to have to do. Definitely a drinking with Josh segment. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Oh, we could do rounds of shots. Yeah. for You know, like hot wings. Ooh. Oh, yeah. we got this. Okay, that's a good idea. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. That that that. Oh, I like this. This yeah. is a good one. 
might have to make that into a segment. Mm-hmm. That is a good one. That is, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. But we'll have to do it with shots, though. That's that's the you know with Josh. Anyway. We could make our own hot wings. Yeah, well, Just, we'll do like a super mild one for him. Yeah, but when you say we it. can make these hot wings, I don't think I'm gonna make any. I think it'll be all be Amal, yeah. Julia, or you that's gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can be there and clean after us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> clean up, clean up. You mean by finishing off what you guys haven't eaten? Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much. It's been really cool. Oh, thank you. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back very shortly uh, in the next few days with a new episode. Uh, we just did episode twelve with Shandy. Thank you so much, and um, see you guys all again very soon. Stay tuned.